0: Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, season three of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad-free unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit ScottSigler.com/slash thestarter. Quentin walked down the tunnel toward Ionath Stadium's field. In earth-standard time, the system that everyone used to track all things football-related, it was Saturday. Today, they'd have a walk-through practice. Get a decent workout, but not push too hard and no hitting. Tomorrow, the Themela Dreadnoughts would come calling. The Krakens had to be rested and ready. He walked past a human cop, one of the dozens guarding Ionath Stadium. Hey, Mr. Bonds, the guard said. Hey, do you mind signing this for me? The guard looked left and right, then held out a message board. It seemed a little suspicious, but then again, if the guy had already got past Greedock's guard and wanted Quentin dead, Quentin would be dead. Quentin took the message board, signed it, and handed it back. There you go. Thanks, Mr. Barnes. Quentin nodded at him, then started to walk out of the tunnel. Hold it, Quentin. I've got some questions for you. Quentin stopped. Same guy, but his voice sounded different. Familiar. Quentin turned and peered at the smaller man's face. The eyebrows were different, and he had a mustache, but the shape of that face... Frederico? Frederico Esteban Giuseppe Gonzaga, he said. And you actually figured out it was me? You should be a punch drive scientist, you know that? Why did you have me sign that message board? I'm just messing with you, he said. And testing my disguise skills. The words Disguise and Message Board clicked together in Quentin's thoughts, sparking a memory. Hey, you were our driver on ISIS. Wow, can't put one past you, Frederico said. Oh wait, I guess I did. So what are you doing here? Sometimes John hires me to be his bodyguard. John Tweedy hires you to be his bodyguard? Don't look so shocked, Quentin. There's more to conflict situations than being big and fast. I can fly just about any ship known to man, and some that aren't. Considering that you seem to be a magnet for trouble, you might keep my skills in mind. John was the most dangerous sentient that Quentin had met. If he hired Frederico as a bodyguard, what did that say about Frederico's abilities? How do you know how to fly ships? I used to be a navigator in the Navy. Which Navy? None of your business, Frederico said. Look, I need to talk to you. So why didn't you schedule it? Masal would have set it up. You don't need this silly disguise. Oh, but I do, Frederico said. Let's just say that Greedock is not my biggest fan. Look, Fred, I gotta get out there to practice. Not until you tell me about your involvement with the Zoroastrian Guild. The who? You heard me. Quentin shrugged. I don't know what you're talking about. You're lying, Frederico said. A splinter cell was behind the parade bombing. A cell of what? What are you, deaf? A cell of the Zoroastrian Guild! Quentin felt his temper rising. He'd have to watch his control. If he lost it and hit a normal-sized man like Frederico, a single punch could do major damage. Look, Quentin said, I don't know anything about this Zoro Guild and... Hey, wait a minute. Don't you work for me? Not if you're involved with the ZG, Fred said. I'm not working for anyone associated with those psychos. Well, since I'm not involved with them, then I guess you're still working for me. So how about you treat your client with a little respect? Quentin realized he was leaning forward a little, and that his eyes had narrowed into a scowl. He stood straight again, breathed deeply through his nose, and forced himself to relax. Frederico seemed to consider Quentin's words for a few seconds. I have to know, he said. I needed to see your face for this, know if you're telling the truth. I'm not someone you want to cross, Quentin. Trust me on that. I have no idea who these Zoro dudes are. Are you telling me that you've never even heard of the Zoroastrian Guild? No, I never... Quentin's voice trailed off as a memory popped into his thoughts. A memory of being restrained on an X-Rack, a room full of Cretorakians asking him rapid-fire questions. The Combine, Quentin said. The bats asked me about it when they were giving me the shock treatment. And that's it? That's the only time you've heard of them? Quentin nodded. You don't watch much news, do you? Sure I do. ESPN and Galactic Sportsnet. I watch them all the time. Frederico stared at Quentin. He stared hard. Quentin fought an urge to look away. Quentin had refused to back down from far bigger, far meaner, but there was something in Frederico's eyes that seemed... Merciless. Frederico's stare was akin to only one other sentient that Quentin knew. Greedock the Splithead. Okay, Frederico said. I believe you. Damn right you do. Quentin had meant the words to be tough, but for some strange reason, this much smaller human bothered him, threw him off his game. Maybe even intimidated him just a little? No, that couldn't be it. It was because Frederico was gay. Had to be. Quentin was trying hard to adjust to his new environment, but the fact remained that he'd spent 19 years being indoctrinated in hate. Had to be the gay thing, because no way he could be intimidated by a man that was a foot shorter and weighed half as much. No way. So, Fred, now that you're finished calling me a liar, who... Wait a minute. You are finished calling me a liar, aren't you? Frederico nodded. Fine, Quentin said. Now that you're done with that, Who are these Zoroastrian guys? For lack of a better word, they are the resistance. Resistance? To what? To Kretorakian rule, Federico said. The ZG is committed to overthrowing the Kretorakian Empire and returning self-rule back to the controlled governments. Which ones? All of them. That's one of the spooky things about this outfit. It's got members from the Union, the League, the Key Empire, and the Key Rebel Establishment, the Sklorno Dynasty, Tower Republic etc. All these sentients work together against a common enemy. What about the purest nation? Frederico laughed a humorous laugh. Where do you think the Guild got started? It's committed to hate and murder, just like your religion. Purism is not my religion. What? You don't worship your ridiculous imaginary friend anymore? Quentin took a step closer and pointed a finger at Frederico's face. I don't care who you are, Frederico. You don't badmouth High One in front of me. High One is not purism, and purism is not High One. I worship in my own way. Get that finger out of my face. Oh, yeah? And what if I don't? What are you going to... Frederico moved faster than Quentin could have imagined. Definitely faster than Quentin could react. One moment, the finger was inches from Frederico's nose. The next... It was buried in Frederico's fist. Buried and bent backward. Quentin sucked in a breath at the pain. He dared not move. The pointer finger on his throwing hand and Frederico could break it with just another ounce of pressure. I told you not to point at me. Uh, I told you, Quentin, I am not a sentient you want to cross. Do you understand? Quentin nodded. Frederico let go of the finger. Quentin flexed his hand and made a fist over and over, working out the pain. Back on the subject, Federico said. When I found out the bombers were Zoroastrians, I made the most obvious connection. Which was? That you were with the Guild. You decided that you liked football more than you liked overthrowing our tiny-winged overlords, so you turned your back on the Guild. And no one turns their back on the Guild. They tried to off you, but if what you say is true, that you don't know them then I don't know what's going on. Could the Guild have been targeting Greedock? Or the mayor? Something? Doubtful. The Guild doesn't care about some crime boss or a low-level politician from a free system. Those humans that did the bombing? They knew it was a one-way trip. For that, you need conviction. Or you need to be ordered by someone with conviction. Frederico nodded. All right. I believe you weren't involved. I'll take care of it. You gonna call the police? No, I'm going to give the remaining cell members' names and locations to Greedock. Quentin stared at the man's cold eyes. One could only imagine what Greedock would do with the terrorists. I thought you and Greedock don't get along. We don't, Frederico said. But this? He'll appreciate this. It'll be one less favor I owe him. How many favors do you owe him? None of your business. Quentin sighed. (sighs) Okay, fine. Greedock still doesn't know you're working for me? Frederico shook his head. No, and if he finds out, I'll have problems. Hence, the disguise. At least it's better than that ridiculous pink suit. Whatever, Frederico said. Once Greedock and his boys take care of the ZG cell, you'll be safe. Not that I don't appreciate this, but you better not bill me. I didn't pay you to protect me. No, but John did. John hired you to protect me? Why does John think I need a bodyguard? Quentin, I know you're technically smarter than John, but sometimes you should just keep that pretty mouth shut so I don't question that assertion. What's that supposed to mean? It means you're an idiot, Frederico said. John thought you needed a bodyguard because someone blew up a bomb and killed 16 sentience. What are you, a moron? The way Frederico said it, well, yeah. Quentin did feel kind of moronic. John had tried to protect Quentin? Quentin felt a rushing sensation in his chest. The sense of family. So what now, Quentin said. How do you protect me from here on out? I really don't know how to pursue the case. It's difficult for the Zoroastrians to get a foothold in Quith space. Because the Concordia is free, there aren't many sentients here willing to sacrifice themselves to blow up Kretorakians. So I think you'll be safe for now. At least in Ionass City, you're safe. What about the other cities? What do I do about the road games? Uh, hope for the best, I suppose. Greedock security forces are no joke, and the home teams will protect you, because there are huge fines from the league if visiting players are hurt or killed. The clack of cleats from farther up the tunnel ended the conversation. Frederico smiled, then walked deeper into the tunnel. He passed Don Pine, who was walking out. Hey Q, Don said. Were you talking to that guard? Not really, Quentin said. He just wanted an autograph. Oh, cool, but keep that quiet. If Greedock finds out, that guy could lose his job. Noted. You ready for practice? Tomorrow is your first home game as a starter, my friend, and it's going to be glorious. I'm ready. Great, let's get out there before Hocor blows a gasket because you're 30 seconds late. Quentin Barnes and Don Pine walked out of the tunnel to join their teammates at the 50-yard line. Football fans, and welcome once again to Sunday Football on UBS. This is Masara the Observant, here with Chick McGee, our very colorful color commentator. Thanks, Masara. We know it's not Sunday for most of you fans, or even if you know what a Sunday is, but welcome all the same. We're here at Ionass Stadium, the big eye, for the Kraken's home opener against the Femula Dreadnoughts. Chick, both teams have one loss and no wins. How important is this game for them? Well, Masara, how important is it for you to remember to take your incontinence medicine in the morning? Chick, that's not... Sorry, Massara, sorry folks at home, but this game is even more important than avoiding an inadvertent public pooping. A win puts one team back in the playoff hunt and leaves the other at the bottom of the Planet Division, sitting right on the relegation bubble. And wait, what's that? Yes, the Dreadnoughts are coming onto the field! Soon the Krakens will rip out of that tunnel, and this place will go insane. Quentin stood in the tunnel of INAF Stadium, waiting for the announcer to call his team onto the field. His hands ran up and down his jersey, left hand tracing the zero, right hand tracing the one, fingertips feeling the Kevlar texture. Black jerseys this time. Home jerseys. Out there, just past the mouth of the tunnel, Ionath Stadium awaited. The big eye. His house. In the stands sat 185,000 Krakens faithful, waiting, clapping, and chanting, Let's go, Let's go Krakens! Let's go Krakens! The Femula Dreadnoughts had already taken the field, escorted by a powerful chorus of boos. The Dreads had ended last year in seventh place with a record of five and seven. They were a strong tier one franchise, but they were not the ISIS ice storm. The Krakens could win this game, had to win this game. Quentin felt his insides twist and turn as the powerful sound system carried the announcer's words throughout the stadium beings of all races, let's hear it for your Ionath Kurekens! He sprinted out of the tunnel, his teammates at his back and sides. The roar of the home crowd seemed to make the air boil and bubble, every atom filled with excitement and rage and the primitive desire to destroy the enemy. With thousands of adoring fans screaming in support, the Krakens gathered at the sidelines and began their pre-game ritual. Quentin led that ritual, led it with passion and intensity, but a part of his brain couldn't shake free a pair of thoughts. Would his offensive line protect him, give him time to throw, and would Yasud Murphy finally step up? Quentin would find out soon enough. The Dreadnoughts won the toss and took the ball. They wore deep yellow leg armor free of any stripes or decorations. The numbers on their white jerseys were crimson with yellow trim. Their crimson helmets had a simple decoration. The letters TD, stylized, crimson, trimmed, and yellow and black. Themela had a good running game led by fleet-footed tailback Donald Dennis. Their passing game, however, suffered the same problem as that of the Krakens, a lack of blocking. Dreadnoughts quarterback Gavin Warren could deliver the ball if he had time to set up and throw. With the outside pressure of Michnik and Khomeini, the Kraken's defensive ends, and the inside pressure from Mumo Killiwi, Quentin didn't think Warren would have much time at all. The Dreadnoughts managed a first down run on their opening play, but were off the field five plays after the kickoff. After a short punt return, Quentin led his offense onto the field for a first and 10 at their own 38-yard line. Just like the game against the Ice Storm, his first three plays were already scripted. Two runs and a pass. Okay, boys and girls, Quentin said. Let's do it just like we practice. Sweep left on two, then we go no huddle. Next play is off tackle left on two. I'll go with a hard count. Try and draw him off sides. Let's open up that hole for you soon. Third play, wing set right, roll out pass. And we go on my first sound, you got that? My first sound. Ready? The Krakens ran to the line of scrimmage. Quentin walked up, feeling the atmosphere of electricity that permeated the Big Eye. He surveyed the defense, the stats and tendencies of each player ripping through his thoughts. The Dreadnoughts were good, damn good, one of the top 20 teams in the galaxy, but they were not as good as the Ice Storm. He could move the ball on these guys. The Dreadnoughts lined up in their base defensive formation, a 3-4. A heavy G nose guard and two key defensive tackles would comprise most of the pass rush. Then came four linebackers, two inside linebackers that lined up behind the defensive line, and two outside LBs that lined up on the ends. The outside linebackers could play in a three-point stance, like the defensive ends, or a few yards off the ball, like traditional linebackers. The formation took advantage of the Dreadnought's defensive speed, but still didn't produce the same overpowering outside pass rush Quentin had faced against the ice storm. As long as he could keep an eye on those linebackers, guess where they were going to go and watch to confirm those guesses, his foot speed would keep him out of trouble and give him time to throw. Quentin slid his hands underneath Budo Schwek, feeling the coolness of Budo's enamel pebbled skin. Red 29! 29, red 29! 29, HUD! Ah. The lines collided. Quentin pivoted on his left foot, sweeping his right foot around as he turned his back to the line. Tom Perillus ran left, parallel to the line of scrimmage, eyes up and looking for a block. Yasuud was a few steps behind Tom, his eyes looking back to Quentin, waiting for the pitch. Quentin finished his turn, tossing the ball out ahead of Yasuud, leading him. The ball hit Yasuud in full stride. The running back hauled it in and kept running to his left, looking for room to run. Perillus turned upfield, moving with the black-jersey lead blockers, and Yasuud followed. Tom lowered his head and leveled a white jersey quith Warrior linebacker, opening up a huge hole. Yasud shot into that hole, then cut outside. He picked up 15 yards before the Dreadnought safety brought him down. Quentin ran to the line, waving the rest of the team up with him. Yasud's strong run filled Quentin with hope, hope that his friend could put in a big game and build some confidence. The Kraken scrambled into position. The Dreadnoughts did the same their linebackers getting into place before anyone else. They had prepared for the Kraken's no-huddle offense. Quentin let his players settle in, then called the snap count. Blue 16! Blue 16! Hut! He waited a fraction of a second to see if the Dreadnoughts jumped off sides, but they did not. His team would go on the next sound. Hut! Ah! Quentin turned to his left. Perilous shot by. Quentin extended the ball for Yasu who practically tore Quentin's arm off, taking it. Yasud drove into a hole created by Perilous and Kilo Quentin watched, everything moving in that strange, slow-motion sensation he experienced on the field. He saw a white-jerseyed linebacker slip through a block, filling the hole. Quentin waited for Yasud to cut back inside, to the seam that was just forming there, the seam that would have given Yasud at least a five-yard gain, but Sue didn't cut back. Instead... He lowered his shoulder and went head-to-head with the linebacker. Yesud lost that battle. The quith warrior linebacker knocked Yasuud backward, putting the human flat on his ass. Second and ten on the Dreadnought's 47. Move! Move! Quentin called, waving his team to the line of scrimmage for the third pre-played call. Yesud was slow to rise. Murphy! Come on! Get up! Let's go! Yasuud rose, but not fast enough. Once again... The defense had time to swap personnel, defeating the purpose of the no-huddle offense. Yasud stumbled to his position at tailback. Quentin felt anger and annoyance swirling in his chest, but he forced it away to concentrate on the next play. He surveyed the defense. They had pulled one defensive back and brought in a defensive tackle, effectively switching from a 3-4 to a pass-rushing 4-4. Yasud stayed behind Quentin as a single back, but Tom Perlis lined up as a right wing just behind and outside of tight end George Starcher, who had painted his face with red stripes this week. Haywick was lined up wide right, almost to the sidelines. A cornerback covered her, and Quentin could see the safety cheating that way to provide help. That meant that one of the four linebackers would probably be in single coverage on George Starcher. Quentin had the defense right where he wanted them. Hot! The lines collided as he pushed off his left foot, going back and also to the right. He sprinted right, the rush of pure speed coursing through his veins. Tom Perlis ran right as Quentin's lead blocker, waiting to stop the first defensive player that came in. Haywick drove off the line, shooting straight downfield on a streak pattern. The Themela cornerback had no choice but to turn and run with her, clearing out the shallow right side of the field. George Starcher blocked down, hitting the defensive end, then bounced off and ran to his right, a shallow, five-yard pattern. The Quith Warrior linebacker had him covered. Quentin took two steps toward the line of scrimmage, like he was going to tuck the ball and run. The linebacker covering Starcher came up immediately, but Quentin then shot to the right, still parallel to and behind the line of scrimmage. The Quith Warrior linebacker tucked and rolled to the side, just a few yards behind Quentin and closing fast. Quentin waved his right hand, urging Starcher to deepen the route, but Starcher was already doing just that, automatically moving to the open space. The linebacker closed. Quentin threw a bullet just before the linebacker sprang out of his roll and brought Quentin down. The ball hissed out, a throw hard enough to kill, but Starcher's huge hands grabbed it as if it were a floating child's balloon. The big tight end turned upfield. Watching Starcher run was like watching a sprinting tree, big legs punishing the ground with each step. The three defensive backs converged on him. He threw a forearm at the closing cornerback, crushing her to the ground, then shook off the strong safety and made it another 20 yards before the free safety drove him out of bounds. Quentin's first pass of the day, and it picked up 38 yards. First and 10 on the Themela 9. Starcher had just known where to go, instinctively, or almost like he'd read Quentin's mind and Quentin knew full well that Starcher would do the same thing all day long. Coach Hocor's fuzzy yellow face popped up in Quentin's helmet VR. Barnes, good job on that play. Run the same thing. Warburg is coming on to spell Starcher. The linebacker will follow Warburg out on the pattern. You turn it upfield. No, Coach. Leave Starcher out here. I need him for that play. Warburg started running onto the field. Quentin held up a hand, palm out, signaling Warburg to stop. At the same time, Quentin tried to wave Starcher back onto the field. Barnes! Just run the plays I call! I will, coach, but send Starcher back on here, I'm not running anything! Warburg hesitated, then started again toward the huddle. Quentin held his hand up again, far more emphatically this time. Rick Warburg stopped again, a man isolated by confusion in front of 185,000 sentients. Barnes! gonna get to a delay game penalty then you better send george out here right now a second later quentin saw george starcher's big body lumbering onto the field warburg looked at quentin even from a distance of some 20 yards quentin could see warburg's expression of hate hate could wait a touchdown could not quentin called the play as soon as starcher reached the huddle then followed his team to the line the crowd screamed for blood Past an end zone painted in blazing Kraken's orange, beyond the goalposts, Quentin saw the sea of fans dressed in orange, black, and white. No one wearing crimson and yellow there. He forced his attention back to the game. He saw that the Dreadnoughts were again in a 3-4 defense. That gave them more speed. Would the play still work? It would work. He smiled, his hands tapping out a quick bada-bap on Budoschweck's rear. Quentin settled under center. Blue, 22, he called. Blue, 22, hot, hot. The lines clashed. Quentin pushed to his right. Everything seemed to slow to a crawl. Quentin's brain soaked up every last detail as he ran right. The defense seemed to be moving in slow motion. The left inside linebacker blitzed forward, but Tom Perilous threw a waist-high block that sent both Perilous and the linebacker to the turf. Quentin watched Starcher block down, then spin with a ballerina's grace and run toward the sidelines, just like the last play. Quentin tucked the ball and started to cut up field, to run for the touchdown, when he saw that Starcher had a step, just a step, on the Quith Warrior linebacker covering him. Still running forward, Quentin raised the ball and fired it as hard as he could. The linebacker reached out a petty to knock the ball away. The stadium was too loud to hear the snap, but Quentin saw it, saw the petty palp hand bend back the wrong way. The ball kept going, deflected downward by the impact. Quentin watched, amazed, as George Starcher reacted instantly, diving down, big hands strangling the ball just before it hit the ground. George landed on his back in the orange end zone. Touchdown. Everything snapped back to normal speed, the crowd's roar deafening this close to the end zone. What a catch! George started to get up, but Quentin ran at him and tackled him out of pure joy. Haywick jumped on the pile and squealed, as did Scarborough and a few other teammates, hundreds of pounds of sentience weighing down on Quentin. Nice catch! he screamed into George's face. That was really something! I told you to throw it hard, George said. The fates that be not let the straight arrows of fortune go awry. Starcher, I don't know what the hell you're talking about most of the time, but you keep making catches like that, and you can babble whatever you like. Hands and tentacles pulled Quentin to his feet. He knelt and reached down to the turf. He picked up a few torn, orange-painted circular leaves. Some of the painted flaked off due to cleats or crashing bodies, revealing the translucent blue plant material beneath. Quentin held the ripped leaves to his nose and inhaled deeply. The smell always reminded him of cinnamon. He ran to the sidelines as the field goal team came on. Ariok Morningstar kicked in the extra point, and the Krakens led 7 to nothing. You have been listening to The Starter. Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com.